Yeah, he's got a lot of that stuff. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Turn there. Brother Josh, I'm going to try to control this from here. I didn't do that on Sunday morning because I had too much else to try to pay attention to at the same time. But we good? All right, building a strong church, Revelation chapter 2. All right, the, the strengths. We looked at the strengths of the church at Ephesus last week. Can you remember what they were? Three of them that we talked about. They were a large church, but that's not one of the things that we mentioned. We've said that about a lot of them, but do you remember anything that were strengths of the church of Ephesus? They were patient. They were a patient church. They were what? Yes, they were a very hard-working church. They were hard at work serving the Lord, and then those were the first two. What is the last thing that we said? That was part of the same thing. That was part of the one that you just mentioned. Yep, that was all part of the first one. They were hard at work serving the Lord. They were patient, and they were fiercely. Remember? Fiercely independent, right? So they were a fiercely independent church. So they were a church that was hard at work serving the Lord. They were a patient church, and they were fiercely independent. Now, in the middle of all these things, and I, you notice it does not say weakness says because there's only one weakness, but in the midst of all of this uh, spiritual maturity, uh, and they were a very spiritually mature church. They were very, uh, I, I said last week that I think there's probably one of the most important churches in the New Testament, and I, and I think that is true. But we find one problem, and it's a serious problem, um, a massive problem that they had, and we find that in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They had left the first love for the Lord and for people. And that was a serious, serious problem that they have. So tonight, I want to give you the weaknesses of the church at Ephesus. And the first thing that we'll say about that is this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22. God's expectation, and we're kind of setting the table here a little bit. God's expectations and instructions for humanity hung on two things. A love for God and a love for people. And in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 37, we see that. Of course, that's uh, the, the story of the rich young ruler comes to him and asks him what's the greatest commandment. Jesus said unto him, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, that doesn't mean that there's only two rules. Uh, there's a lot of other commands and things that we see in the Bible, but it means that every God-given instruction, everything else that we're given, uh, hinges on these two, um, or on one of them or both of them, loving God and loving others. And the church at Ephesus, they had the right doctrine. They, had the, they, they studied the, the claims of the Nicolaitans. Remember, we talked about that. Those were those that were uh, lording over the church, and they, they rejected those claims. The church at Ephesus had the right character. Um, they were, we talked about this, they were laboring fervently in the service of the Lord. Uh, they had the right attitude. They, they went through the trials, and I mean, we talked about all the things that happened in Ephesus and the way that they were fought against by um, all the, um, those that were part of the temple of Diana and everything else, and they endured all of those things. But what we see here and, and what, is, what is brought to light by this verse in Revelation chapter 2 is that they did it all for the wrong reasons. Um, why do I say that? It's because any reason other than a love for God and a love for people 
uh, is a motivation uh, or as a motivation for our actions is, is wrong. It's an unscriptural reason. And the reason was something other than love because he makes it very plain here that they had left their first love. Uh, so God's expectations for humanity hang on those two things, a love for God and a love for people. But the second thing is this, our religion is a relationship. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. I say that often when I'm witnessing to somebody because so many people don't like religion. And I tell them often, this is, is, I, you know, this is not a religion that we're talking about here. We're talking about a relationship. When I preach funerals, and I've done probably seven or eight of them now, and I, and I go to these uh, funerals, I don't tell them, unless somebody asks me point blank, I don't tell them what church I'm even at. Because I don't want them to think I'm there preaching this funeral only because I'm trying to get people into the church. I tell them, and I, and I make it a point. I said, you know, I get through most of the message, and, and near the end I say, it's not about going to church. It's not about you know giving money to the church. It's not about any of those things. And in fact, if you haven't if you haven't noticed, I didn't even tell you what church that I'm from because it, it does not matter. This is not about a religion or a church. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what we have. Uh, that relationship is with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And th- that person told us to love Him and to love others. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, and, and obviously he wrote this epistle uh, a couple decades before uh, John wrote the book of Revelation and talked about the church at Ephesus. But we find the same message. Paul, Paul acknowledged at the time that he wrote the book of Ephesians that they had this love. He says that in verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making a mention of you in my prayers. He talks about the love that they had. And he even mentions that as, as honestly kind of being a strength of theirs. Um, but then he urges them to strengthen the ties that bound their actions to that love. And, and you see this in Ephesians chapter 3. Turn over there. A couple pages over in verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that she being rooted and grounded in love. In fact, in that prior epistle, Paul connected uh, a lot of aspects of Christianity to love. Uh, he speaks of forbearing one another in love, speaking the truth in love, uh, edifying in love, walking in love, connecting faith with love. Um, and, and, and honestly, I think one of the reasons that Paul was doing that is, you know, in making that connection with, with love uh, being being a, a, a major factor in all of these things is not only because it was important, but probably Paul had some kind of concern about it. Might have been on a low level, but Paul had at least a little bit of concern about the fact that their love was was either um, being misplaced or their love was, was drifting away from what it originally had been. Um, and in fact, I think he pretty clearly expresses that in the very last verse of the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 24. He says this, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And I think what what Paul is saying is that, in in short, they had that love. They had it, but they were losing it. Paul tells them to hold on to it. Don't let go of it. Grow in it. But they turned around and they walked away. They left it. Because Ephesians was written about 20 years or so before the book of Revelation was written. And these 
few years pass. Paul is gone by that point. Uh, Timothy is, I think, I believe, is gone by that point. This church is going on, and now John writes about the book uh, about the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation, and he says, "You've left your first love." So, how does that happen? How does such a thing happen? Uh, we're going to talk about that, but turn over to Matthew chapter twenty-four. We don't. We're not going to be long tonight because there really is only one thing that we're going to talk about here, and that is losing or leaving a first love. How does a person or a church or an organization that once had a fervent love for Christ and for people grow apathetic? How do you get to that point? Um, At least some of the answer, I think, is found in what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The first thing that we have to say about that is this. When sin abounds, we lose our love. Now, sin itself, you know, the existence of sin is not the problem. Um, Sin exists in every human and every human institution because of that. You know, sin is, is just going to be there. It's inherently going to be there. But when we allow that sin to pick up steam and fester and grow in our lives, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's when it causes us to, to move away from Jesus Christ. It's going to choke out that love that we used to have for God. It's going to choke out that love that we used to have for people. Um, my neighbor, Steve, has a very large garden, and, and he's been telling us about it since we moved in. We've only been there. September will be two years. He didn't plant one in the year that we came, but he keeps telling me about um, you know, it, and it is a very, very big garden. I, I wouldn't say it's the size of this auditorium, but it's probably the size of at least half of the auditorium. Um, I, he's got that big tractor, and I drive it, and, and um, you can fit the tractor in between the rows, and there's, you know, there's five rows. So it's, it's, a, it's a big garden. And he said that um, at, at one point he had uh, the same. Remember when Ucrops was here, and they used to have some of the best, freshest produce, and... Uh, the same, he got to know whoever was involved with picking the produce and whatever else. I don't know exactly what, what the whole story is behind it, but he got the same dirt delivered to his house that they used in the Ucrops gardens, you know. And he said, this is the best dirt that you can have, you know. And uh, so, I mean, he paid a lot of money to get all of that dirt put inside that garden and everything else. And he kept telling us about, boy, you gotta, we got to plant the garden this year and everything else. So we did. We dug the whole thing up. I plowed it three or four times, turned, the, turned everything over, let it sit, turned it over, let it sit. And he said, that's what we had to do, you know. And then, uh, then we dug everything up. And he ended up doing a lot of the planting, but I helped him with it. And then a couple different times we weeded it and, and put all the stuff down, you know, the, uh, uh, the stuff that, <clears throat> that helps it grow and all of that stuff. But I've never yet seen a garden without weeds. In fact, he broke his hip, and if you go look at the garden now, you can't even tell it's a garden. It's nothing but weeds, you know. Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of vegetables and stuff like that in there too. But every garden has weeds, and they practically spring up overnight. I mean, you see it in your driveway, you see it in your flower beds, and it's like I can't get grass to grow in the middle of the yard, but it'll grow in the middle of the parking lot, you know. <laughs> I mean, how does that work? It's it's the craziest thing. But uh, every garden has weeds, and and um, you know they. Uh, the, the problem with gardening is, is not the presence of the weeds, though. The problem with gardening is when you stop dealing with those weeds, and they grow up, and they overtake everything, and they start to, to take the, uh, the nutrients from the soil that the, that the plants need to grow, and they start sucking all of that out. That's when the plants get choked out. 
and a and a garden that is just full of weeds cannot be full of fruit at the same time because they're going to choke each other out and that's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to sin that's that's exactly true of a christian and the church when we allow sin to stay there sin is not the problem necessarily uh the problem is when we allow it to stay there um sin is going to be i mean we're going to make mistakes um a simple mistake does not make you leave your first love the reason you leave your first love is because we let that sin stay there and we let it fester and we let it grow and then it eventually does take up the the energy that we used to have for the things of God and the energy that we used to have in loving God. And so sin is a huge part of that. To keep that from happening, we have to have that, that frequent confession and forsaking of that sin. We call it keeping short accounts with God. And what that means is you sin, you realize it was a sin, you don't say, well, I'll deal with it later, or you know what, I just I failed again, whatever, it's just the way that it's going to be. No, you get it taken care of now. You get that right with God now, keeping short accounts with God. And it's only by walking in the Spirit that we're not going to walk in the flesh. Those two cannot exist with each other. You can't walk in the flesh and walk in the Spirit at the same time. You're either walking in the flesh or you're walking in the Spirit. And if we are allowing sin in our lives to stay there, then we're not walking in the Spirit, we're walking in the flesh. Um, The flesh and the Spirit, they can't dwell together. One of them is always going to push the other one out. So, kind of, turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Turn, turn back over there. So, kind of having established how a condition um, exists that causes us to leave our first love, what we want to look at is what happens when it does. What happens when we leave our first love? And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John's short epistle in Revelation to the Ephesian church um, and that's all it was. I mean, there's only seven verses that talk about the church there at Ephesus, but I think he hits the nail on the head when it comes to what happens when we leave our first love. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, the candlestick in context represents the church itself. That's what the candlestick is talking about. It is the church of Ephesus was that candlestick. It's a testimony, a shining testimony. It's a light to the grace and the glory of God in a place. In particular, what we're talking about here is Ephesus, but that, but that, happens, that could happen right here in this place. We are a church, and we have that light. And we have that testimony of God's grace. But a church that's walking away from love as a motivation for all it does is a church that's walking away from that light and away from that testimony. Um, and pretty soon, you know, the, the sun starts to fade and the testimony of that church is just gone. And that's something that we have to be so careful that we watch out, that we, that we pay attention to and make sure it does not happen. How do churches that were once on fire for God, churches that were winning souls for Jesus Christ, churches that were, you know, running tons and tons of bus routes and bringing all kinds of kids in and and you know seeing people saved and baptized and and just have a a place that's just packed to the to the doors close how does that happen i mean you you think about yes i mean yes it is the sign of the times people don't want church anymore and they don't want this and they don't want that and 
And you can blame it on all of those things, but there's churches that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years that are still going strong for God. You can't blame it on the times. So how does that happen? How is their candlestick removed? Somewhere, somehow, in some way, sin got in there and started to reign unchecked. And it was allowed to fester, and it was allowed to grow, and it was not taken out, and their love, like the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, waxed cold. Their light grew dim, and eventually it went out. And, that, and I mean, that sounds like a strong warning, and it is a strong warning. But he says, remember where you fell from. Get back to the place where you fell from. Get back to that first love, or else, or else, I'm going to come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. You know, when it's gone that far, it can't be reversed. When that light is out, it can't be reversed. But until that light goes out, as long as there are still people left in that church, as long as you are still uh, living at least a shell of, uh, of the way that you should be living for God, then there's still hope. And I think prior to the fact that that, that light goes out, there is still a chance that you can turn back to God. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Brother Josh, I don't know what I did. I had a third one on there. But I think that's, ex I think that's John's exact reason for writing this passage in Revelation chapter 2. He's trying to call them back to their first love. And that's exactly what he says there. We can get, back, we, we can get our love back before it's gone. Uh, he's calling on them to remember. He's calling on them to repent and to do their first works. He's, he asked them to go back and just embrace that humility that they used to have. Admit that they have a problem. That's where it starts. You know, a lot of churches that are, that are uh, just hemorrhaging like crazy and losing people and everything else don't want to admit the fact that there's a problem somewhere. And so if they don't admit that there's a problem, they're never going to find a solution for the problem. They're never going to stop losing those people. And they're never going to be able to get back to that first love. But he asked them, John asked them to show that attitude to be genuine by attacking the iniquity that is abounding in the church. And then start there and start to get that love back. They were a working, laboring church. They were doing things for God, but they needed to get back to laboring like they did when they were doing it out of a love for Jesus Christ. And they needed to get back to the place where they were doing it out of a love for souls and out of a love for people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6 and we'll be done. That's what God is judging us by. Because, you know, when somebody looks at you from the outside, they don't know why you're doing what you do. I... I can see what you do, but I can't tell what your motivation is for why you're doing what you're doing. But God sees our motivation. God knows the heart. God knows why we're doing the things that we're doing. And so you can have a church that by all appearances on the outside, I don't know why they're falling apart. Why would they be, you know, why would they be losing people? Why would they be closing their doors? Why would they be, uh, you know, doing this or doing that? And why are they shrinking? If you look at them on the outside, everything looks great, but God sees the heart. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that's, you know, that that is everything, but that has a whole lot to do with it. 
The motivation for why they're doing what they're doing is probably wrong. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your works and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. In other words, that labor of love is something that only God sees because he's the only one that can see our motivation for why we're doing what we're doing. But if you look at this verse, God's not forgetting those things either. He sees your work. He sees what we're doing on the outside, but he also sees the labor of love. And why, why would God make a distinction between work and labor? Because work is what can, can be done on the outside. Labor is, is really what's done on the inside and what God sees. And he talks about that labor of love. Do you serve God? Good. You should be serving God. But, but, the next question is why? And the answer must be that we do it out of love. We do it out of a love for God first and foremost, but then we do it out of a love for people. And if we're not doing it for those reasons, then something is keeping us from doing it for those reasons. And more than likely, the reason our love is waxed cold is because we've allowed sin to get in there and to stay and to fester and to grow and it needs to be gotten out just like those weeds and look you can go in there with a weed eater and knock all of those things down but guess what's going to happen within a couple days they're going to be right back up there because you didn't take them out by the roots you took them out by the top so it looked good on the outside but those things have to be gotten out by the root got to get down to the bottom of the problem Figure out where it started and just pull that thing out by the roots. That's how God's going to be able to use us again if we've lost our first love. It's the only way to keep the candle of our church burning bright for the next generation. We're new, and I think we all still have that first love. Uh, I think we are doing it for the right reasons. I think we are doing it out of a genuine love for people. I think we are doing it out of a genuine love for God. But we have to keep it that way. And the second we start to lose that is the second that our light starts to dim and we're in danger of seeing it go out. We want to be a lighthouse in this community. The church at Short Pump or the church at Henrico, whatever you want to call it, is the, you know, that could have been one of the seven churches that was listed right in this passage, you know? And he says, to the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you left your first love. May it never be said about the church here that we left our first love. Amen. We need to keep it. We want to continue to be a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. That's part of establishing a strong church. Let's, let's go forward for God. Let's be laboring for him. Let's be motivated. Let's be working for him. But let's be doing it for the right reasons. Out of a love for him and out of a love for others. That's how we're going to keep uh, this place as a lighthouse on a hill that God can continue to bless and that we can use to bring glory to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you that you have allowed us to have this lighthouse here in this place. And God, I pray that it always be uh, something that you're proud of, something that you can hold up as a, as a true candle and a true light to this community because we're doing it because we love you and, and we love others. And may we never forget that. May we never lose our first love. And God, I pray that you'd help us to see souls saved in this place, people baptized because they want to go forward and do more for you. And God, may it be said of, the, of this church 50, 
75, 100 years from now, if, if the Lord tarries, that they never left their first love. And may this church be a lighthouse for many, many generations to come. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.